Welcome to Club Management. I'm your host, DJ Shannon, and on this show, we talk to artists, DJs, and industry professionals on how they're changing their community through music. You can listen to the show on any of your favorite platforms like SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Just type Club Management. And this is episode 46. Back for another episode here on the pod. Thank you to everyone who listened to our season premiere with Elise. What a great way to kick off this uh, this season and very happy to be bringing all of these incredible conversations to you again. I waited intentionally because, you know, we're going into that fall, that crispy winter season. So this is a great time for everyone to just sit around at the computer, <laughs> sit around at home, watch your favorite shows and just dive into some really great storytelling um, and yeah, if you're new to the show, please give us a like on Facebook, Instagram. We are at club underscore management on Instagram and then facebook.com slash club management. So for episode two, we invite Brooklyn native and event promoter and incredible selector DJ Tara. She's a member of the Rare Form DJ Collective and one of the originators of Donuts Are Forever, an annual fundraiser and tribute held each year to honor the legacy of the great Jay Dilla. Tara has also blessed NYC with the Makosa Brooklyn Cookout, a yearly party that's been going on for over 10 years strong in the borough. The heavyweight selector has a knack for weaving together forgotten gems and rare grooves, and she's been taking her eclectic selection all across a number of venues here in NYC. During the pandemic, Tara brought so much of her incredible music to Twitch with her Tuesday Tea Show. I chat with a brilliant DJ and event promoter about her come up in the music scene, what it's like DJing at the Oscars, and we chat about the NYC Office of Nightlight report that came out in June and ways of building equity and safety for marginalized people on the dance floor. Um, so I am born in Brooklyn. Um, I left Brooklyn a little bit before my high school years um, and went out to the Burbs on Long Island. I was out there for through high school, um, came back to the city, went to college and have been pretty much been here ever since um, back in Brooklyn finally after, gosh, I don't know, how, about, how many years have I been back? 16 years now in Brooklyn, so it's good. Um, but yeah, I, it's like when I tell people, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I claim native New Yorker only because I like those formative years <laughs> that I would have been out, you know, doing the, the, the cool shit. I probably wouldn't have been doing it anyway because my parents were super strict, but you know, I missed out on all that. So for the oh, most yeah. part, but I, I mean, shit, I've spent most of my life in Brooklyn. So I, I do feel I am a native New Yorker, but definitely have not, I didn't get to experience all the cool, the cool shit one would have experienced in my, in my youth, like the, you know, pre eight, you know, 18 years of age youth. <laughs> right, I feel you with that one. Oh, there's nothing like having the strict parents. Trust me, I know exactly what that feels like. Often, <laughs> you know, sneaking out to parties and then coming back and feeling the wrath of my parents. So I totally mm-hmm. get it. Um, you know, I want to say thank you because over the pandemic, you were such a big source of joy for me and so many people with your uh, Tuesday Tea Show on Twitch. And what was so incredible about it is just your really incredible ear for music. I mean you have just this gift of, of really digging for the gems and, or even just things that you, even songs that you just haven't, you know, listened to in a while, but you hear it and you're like, oh my God, I, I remember why this song is so good. I'm wondering, are there three tracks that you grew up listening to that 
really sort of encompasses uh, your, your knack for looking for new music? Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> That's a hard question. Uh, yeah, that is a hard <laughs> question. I mean, I guess it's, it may, in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name, name three songs. I'm going to try to make it make sense. So I would say one would have to be um, The Bangles, Manic, Mon no, not Manic Monday, Eternal Flame because that's like one of the first record or tapes that I bought as a little kid. Mm. And for me, it kind of encompasses just the eighties, you know, the eighties is definitely one of my favorite eras of music of all types, um, especially pop music. Um, I always say like that, like the, you know, white people were at their funkiest in the eighties and then it just <laughs> went downhill um, after that. <laughs> it's just, um, <laughs> So I think it kind of, that to me is kind of ties in just like a lot of what, um, what attracts me to um, music that I find today, especially music that I find from artists overseas. Mm -hmm. um, so what, you know, I'm thinking like a Benny Sings and, you know, like um, a lot of the new, newer guy, folks who do R&B, a lot of them are, are not black. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I dig the feeling, I, deal, I dig the sentiment. So I feel like for me, I have to kind of throw in an 80s pop in there just because I like a lot of my like yeah the, it, what I like and what maybe draws me into some of the newer music just reminds me of what I like listened to growing up at that mm. time um my second song I'm gonna say is oh man um <laughs> I'm gonna say love and happiness um India because I had house head um, older cousins and they, you know, wasn't like, you know, house music was something that wasn't, I wasn't too exposed to other than like what we would listen to um, when we would go over to their houses. My, and my brother like would basically like steal their tapes and like take them and like dub them and we were listening and we put them back but we would like, you know, it's like stealing. We were basically like stealing music. Um, <laughs> sorry for their listening. Um, and that to me, I, I just remember um, hearing that on one of the tapes and just not, um, again, same kind of like a drawing to it. And I, you know, it is, a, a, you know, now that I'm older, I know that it is a very um, spiritual song. Mm. Um, so it's interesting that how that turned out. Um, right. So I'm gonna say that is another song. And my third song's got to be a hip hop song, and I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say um, lyrics to go by a tribe called Quest. Classic. Uh, you know, apart from what I listen to on the radio and listening to, you know, stealing my cousin's tapes or my brother stealing them, not me, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, listening and 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 watching Video Music Box you know, for your for for our and listening to you know underground radio for like our college radio for like hip hop. Um, I didn't really have much exposure to other types of music, specifically like old classic soul. My parents are, are you know, Caribbean, they're Haitian. We grew up listening to Haitian music um, in the mm -hmm. household if it wasn't our own music. You know, what our parents, you know, everyone has that. Oh yeah, this is what my mom, you know, used to clean the house to like, you know, 
what, you know, the temptations or, you know, Diana Ross, like that wasn't my childhood. So for me, I didn't really understand the connections of soul and jazz to hip hop um, until I heard lyrics to go. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was always very aware that there was sampling. I knew that was a thing. I never had an interest in like really understanding what that meant until I heard lyrics to go. And then when I, I also happened at the same time, that was when Kiss FM went to like classic soul. Mm. And I think I happened to hear Inside My Love at the same t- around the same time. And I was like, oh, sh- like, sh- I-, I get it now. And then it's like, to me, it was like amazing because, you know, hearing lyrics to go, I'm not realizing that what I'm hearing is Minnie Ripperton singing that ridiculous high note for like 10 years. Right. You know, so yeah. that really blew my mind. Um, and really, I think that de- that song definitely set me on a path between that and like listening to Kiss FM. Um, reading liner notes really set me on a path of understanding the origins of hip hop as it relates to samples. Um, and that really expanded my, my, my R&B knowledge, my jazz knowledge. Um, wow. So yeah, wow, that was tough, but I, I did it. <laughs> did it. And it was a great, those are three amazing choices, by the way. Um, you know, in those moments where you were able to kind of sneak out and get a glimpse of New York City's nightlife. I was reading um, your interview with Brooklyner, and it was, you know, talking about how you were frequenting a lot of the the clubs in the meatpacking district around that time, or you know, just involved in in, in sort of the, the the escape during that time. What are some changes that you've seen um, in New York nightlife from the '90s till now? Oh my God. I can talk a long time about that. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so, I mean, I've, the one thing when I did, when I, when I started college, um, you know, I was, so that was the late nineties. I was, yeah, I was back in the city. I wasn't 21, but that wasn't a huge barrier to going out. Right. Um, even if it wasn't, you know, I may not have been able to go to like the big, big clubs, but I was still able to like, you know, you're still able to have a nightlife experience. Um, I mean, New York has, has changed so much. And at this point, we're talking nearly 30 years ago, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I'm not that old, though. <laughs> so, I don't look that old, though. Um, so for me, it, it's just, it's just they, uh, you know, this, the New York City is way more developed now um, than it was back then. And, and, I, and I say developed in the sense of just like residential development. Um, neighborhoods that didn't have, you know, meatpacking literally was the meatpacking district. You would go to like APT, there was uh, Cielo there, um, Hogs and Heifers used to be there. So that was like the biker bar. And then when that left, there was like some other, like uh, that bed, a uh, bed. So, oh, there was yeah. a bar, so the bar that they talk about on, if, if you people watch Sex and the City, where they had literal beds, like that actually existed and that was in the meatpacking, but that was still at a time when it was still the meatpacking. So you would go, depending if you got there, you know what time of day you got there, you could actually smell the remains of the day, you know? And you, wow. could, you could see like, my friends, we used to always joke like, cause you'd, we'd see like puddles sometimes. We'd be like, you'll meat water. And like, you know, God, God forbid you accidentally step in the meat water, you know? Yes. So it looked nothing like it looks today. Wow. Um, you know, <laughs> and the funny thing is, it's not to say, I mean, yes, a lot of new buildings have come up, but a lot of the, the older buildings have been just like repurposed and are now like, fan, you know, fancy stores. Um, those expensive stores didn't exist there before. Maybe before it might have been probably occupied by like, you know, artist studios, small, you know, galleries, things right. like that, and all of that. 
you know, I mean, some of it's still there, but it's for a very higher end um, customer, I guess. It was just, it was a rougher, it was rougher space. It wasn't like, it wasn't dangerous, but it was just rougher because clearly, yeah, you have meat, you know, folks are packing meat during the day. Uh, you know, people are hustling around doing like the New York thing. And at night it was like, you know, yeah, yeah you're just kind of like going to this, you know, hit, walking the streets just to hit, hit up the spot. So there was just also like more, um, I guess more nightlife that existed outside of the clubs, I feel, or mm. bars, even though it was harder because that was when like Giuliani was using the cabaret law to really shut places down if they didn't have a licensed dance. You know, they, I, would, I would definitely like roll up in a party or a bar mm. um, with a DJ and I'd be dancing. And then if I'd go back the next week, there'd be a sign that's like no dancing and because they got, you know, they got ticketed and had to pay a hefty fine. So that definitely happened um, quite a bit back then too. But it just seemed like people were willing to, to take the risk. Um, there were a lot of little restaurants that, you know, once they, they might have, they might close their kitchen down or, you know, just do like little appetizers and they would have just, you know, somebody would show up around 10, 11 o'clock with their little, you know, with their record bags and their turntables or whatever and just set up and start DJing. Right. Uh, a lot of memories of that. Um, that's also going into the 2000s because yeah, at one you know one point, um, yeah. my friends and I we would just you know I, yeah by then Giuliani wasn't in office anymore but we would like go to Brooklyn on cab like by where Madiba used to be, mm-hmm. um, and where that new restaurant is but it used to be like five other different black owned restaurants, it was just like a strip so that whole like from Madiba down to uh, maybe Claremont mm-hmm. there would be at least like three four restaurants late night there would be djs you can go in there have a cocktail um you know i was talking to um another dj about that dj misbehavior she lives in that area and we were talking about how yeah like you used to just go to decab and just go like how you know eat the none of these are clubs right but you can go dance you could go hear djs um and it was and how much of a good time it was there used to be another uh, club over on washington i don't live too far from washington avenue now but like way over by the bqe Mm-hmm. Um, there used to be a club called Caviar Studios and that used to be the jam. So wow. I used to do that too. And I'd be like house music. I had a friend who lived nearby. Um, she's an artist. They used to have her art up on the walls. It was just, yeah, it's, I feel like we had more potential and more opportunities to have nightlife in different spaces right. because we had to, um, the, the, you know, the, that's all things when bottle service started to get really pop in. We always yeah, I was gonna issue. say, like <laughs> I, I remember, I have like fond memories of sneaking into bed around that time. <laughs> I wasn't of age, but I was using my sister's ID to get in, and um, I remember the bottle service and feeling like super ritzy at that time, going in there to like sneak in and party. It's interesting that you mentioned that that sort of that feeling of having more options because in the two thousands, it it just felt like there was more of a raw energy around that time with some of those clubs down in the meatpacking district. I mean, um, you know, like, for example, last week I was in LeBain and, you know, I just felt like things were so stale compared to how it was back then where you could literally jump into the swimming pool in the middle of the floor and like act a fool, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think everyone's reserved now. Like everyone's just happy to be out, you know? Um, (laughs) And also I think, you know, we, I don't know, partying in the summer is also kind of weird because it's like, who are y'all here here or are you just visiting? So that's another thing. But um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I feel like people are definitely tra- out and wanting to have a good time, but I haven't seen like as much 
I don't know, debauchery, I guess. But I'm also, again, I, you know, now that I'm thinking about how old I am, I'm, maybe I'm too old for that. Um, <laughs> no, but it's okay. Yeah, no, we'd rather have safe fun, right? Especially after this crazy year that we've been through. So Absolutely. We're still in it. Still, you know, just trying to stay alive out here for real. Yes, this is a fact. Um, so let's talk about, so how did you actually start uh, getting onto the scene and DJing? Like, what were your first gigs like? Um, so my friends and I, before I started DJing, we would just uh, throw parties and we would do these, you know, we were going out all the time and it was like, well, let's try to do stuff that we want to do. Cause we, you know, and we, we hated um, that we would have to like dress up. Cause that was, yeah, that was still dress code and in, in effect type times that shit was annoying. Cause we knew it didn't ma- Like, it really doesn't matter what you're wearing. I understand you want people to look good, but like, why do I need to wear like a, you know, the guys don't want to wear a button down shirt. Right. Um, I don't want to wear heels, you know, it's just like, why, why can't I just wear like what I like and ha- listen to good music too? Like, why do I have to go? Yeah. Yeah. It just, we didn't like that. So we're like, fine, we're, let's give this a go ourselves. All of us had full-time jobs. So it was, you know, wasn't, um, you know, the aim is if we can make some money, great. If not, you know, at least we said we did this and, you know, mm. we're going to hire people that we know that we really respect, appreciate, um, and have them do events with us. So I was, I actually started out, I guess, that way. Um, and I, I really liked just like, yeah, throwing parties. We do different things. We did weird stuff. Like we did a party once where all we, we, we served soup. <laughs> it was winter, you know, and it was, yeah. it was, I loved it. It was great. But yeah, we had like a little like crock pot in the corner and you can like pour yourself some soup and we had a really dope DJ. Um, yeah, we do stuff like that. I mean, then we did donuts and we, we serve donuts. So, um, yeah. so we like to serve food. Um, and I just hit a point where I, I kind of was like one of the, yeah, it was like a quarter life crisis situation. Um, I was pondering leaving New York. Um, that did not turn out the way I had it planned. So I, you know, I basically made a decision to stay in New York and, and then I'm saying, and I decided I had to ask myself, like, okay, if I'm going to stay here, what do you want to do? Mm. Um, you know, at that point I had a, I had a good job. Um, I was working in a completely different industry. I was working in IT um, for a bank at the time. Um, you know, I was like, I don't love this. Then, you know, was, I had to ask myself, well, what do I want to do now? Mm-hmm. And the two things I came up with was I'm going to go to grad school and I'm going to become a DJ. So that's what I did. I, I, it, it took a while for the grad school. I took like a year or so, but the DJing, I was like, I can do that right away. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Scratch Academy. um got some turntables started practicing um I had a homie whose birthday was the other day um who same kind of just like oh I you know DJ here and there I dabble um you know I have homies who are creative you know put on shows here and there and he was basically doing a DJ night at a bar um leopard lounge and he was like do you want to you want to join like and I'm like yes but I was terrified because I was like I don't know if I'm a real DJ <laughs> like I don't know and he was like well none of us are we're just gonna do this to have fun and I had a blast so um you know from there we did it a few more times um then I just realized yeah I was like I really enjoy this so you know even though I had gone to you know I'd taken these classes and I'd done you know I was kind of you know practicing on the side I wasn't really taking it too seriously mm. and I started to um, but then when grad school hit, I had to stop just because I couldn't take, I couldn't DJ and then I was working full time and then I was going to school. It was just too much. So the DJing kind of fell to the wayside for a couple of years. Right. Um, but yeah, that's really how I fell into it. And it was again, like, yeah, it was homies. Like somebody was just like, yeah, I, you know, they, somebody had the hookup on a spot. 
Um, for me, again, still terrified. Wasn't sure I could, you know, do it. But, you know, that introduction and just it being like, it's this isn't serious um, really served me. Because, I mean, I, it, I do take the gigs I accept very seriously in the sense that, you know, I'm, I, you know, I want to be prepared. Yeah. Um, I'm very professional, but the approach in terms of like, when, I, once I start, I'm really just trying to have a good time. Like, let's mm-hmm. have some fun with this. This isn't the end of the world. I mean, I've never had somebody come up to me at the end of the night and said, you just ruined my night. This was terrible. <laughs> so like, you know, you have to put it in perspective. Um, and I think it, <laughs> that helps. Yeah. You know what? That is actually one of my worst fears is having someone be like, Yo, you freaking suck, man. Like, or just like being pulled off of the stage, like oh. right? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's never happened. And then, you know what? And I think I'm like, well, somebody's not gonna wait till the end of the night to tell me this. They'll just leave, and maybe they'll be better off. So, hey, you know, let's do what you gotta. Oh. Goodness. <laughs> but yes, no. Thankfully, that has not happened to either of us. So I'm really, I'm really happy. We're, we're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's interesting to see how all of that incredible experience has now snowballed in what you do today with. Uh, the Mocosa Cookout and Donuts Are Forever events. Um, and that is thrown through uh, a production company that you work with called Rare Form. Am I right? Yeah. So that's the, that's the, the company that my friends and I created when we oh, perfect. started throwing parties. Like that was just our, our thing. You know, that was still when people printed flyers and we would like go hand them out. Oh, see, like this is one thing I'm like, when I think back, mm-hmm. and again, it wasn't even that long ago but just thinking through what we, you know, how we promoted our events, where we would go to promote our events mm-hmm. and how none of those places exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we used to go to Turntable Lab when it was originally on E7 and now it's not, they don't have a storefront anymore. They're just on, online. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to leave our flyers there. We used to go to Fat Beats and leave flyers there. Oh we used God, to go to ABT means- and, you know, and, and just, like start talking to people and hand out flyers and then we might go to the DJ and say hey you should come you know can we come I mean can we like leave you know flyers here would you come to our event we're doing you know we're doing something or can we book you sometime like, we would totally be mm. out here like having a good time but also like trying to like you know like chop it up hustle for some like hustle some connect so we could do some more parties right um and I'm like dang none of this exists anymore like we would go to different sneaker stores and clothing stores that we knew um people would go to on a Friday or Saturday and leave flyers there mm-hmm. and none of that yeah I'm like none of those spaces really exist anymore and, and I'm like those tactics don't either so oh my goodness I know I'm like and it wasn't that long ago it, that much, this isn't the 90s this is the odd so yeah were you so were you supposed to do something last year when COVID hit as well or with Donuts of Forever um we had just done it we had oh, just okay. uh oh Nate what am I talking about no this is we're in 20 no we did 20 at 2020 we had just done Donuts because we do okay. it in February um so that was one of the last things I, I I remember there were like four or five like last events that either I attended or I I did mm. so I, like one was donuts we did that because we usually do that president's day weekend so that was about a month before the pandemic right um I think the end of that month I did um a party with Jada Lorraine um, mm-hmm. at Good Room. Um, I think I had gone to Jupiter Disco because um, Negro Clash, so that's um, Prince Language, DJ Lindsay and Dwayne Harriet were um, playing. Mm-hmm. I was like, dang, I just remember like these things. Cause it's just like, damn, this is like the last, these are the last things I did and who yeah. knew? Like if I had known, I mean, <laughs> I had a great time at Jupiter Disco, but it's just like, if I had known, 
um, if, we, if anyone of us had known. So we did manage to get donuts um, in before um, 2020, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, because we do it as a fundraiser. So for us to have not been able to do it um, would have been really devastating t- for Building Beats, which is the organization that we work with. And mm-hmm. also, um, you know, definitely would have lost money, um, which would have been terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we were able to pivot this year and do it virtually online, right. which is good because, you know, a party like Donuts, we kind of wrapped together, you know, off like favors, off, you know, our own, you know, whatever extra money that we all have that we can like contribute to the pot type thing, um, mm. you know, what, whatever Building Beats is able to put in. So to be able to do it virtually allowed us like, I guess, a bigger, a wider range, we could cast a wider net right. and DJs that we wouldn't have been able to fly out because we wouldn't have been able to pay them. We were able to have virtually, which was pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I was going to say, I think Twitch has been or an incredible platform for that in, um, you know, still allowing for that, that, that kind of entertainment value with, with DJs and, and audience members now in the chat interacting with you, which mm-hmm. is something you're incredible doing, you're doing incredible with your own Twitch show as well. Um, speaking of, about mm-hmm. Twitch, uh, I had recently seen you tweet about some of the racist Twitch raids that were going on, and I haven't been on Twitch for a while, um, so I have not experienced them, but it's really devastating to hear that that's actually happening right now. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, I think it's, it's probably been going on for longer than we think. Um, I, I know it really, it, it impacts the gamers more, um, or people who don't, aren't necessarily like DJs. That's not to say DJs haven't experienced it. Personally, I have not, but um, I do know a DJ who was hate rated like twice in like less than two weeks um you know it's it's just it's a terrible experience and then it's also like dang y'all have all the time in the world to be racist like this is like <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean like all this effort like it's just weird to me that um people would go through all of this but um you know I know for for a lot of us um DJs Twitch was de- it's definitely like for me I still what I know I can put on the head of a pin Right. And, you know, and I feel like I kind of know more or kind of know a decent amount now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not only is it gamers on that site and, and DJs, people do talk show style things. And, and I remember um, early on when, you know, all, you know, everyone's kind of like all these DJs are kind of on Twitch trying to, you know, figure it all out. Right. We're sharing information with one another. You know, people are, are, and I remember a DJ actually told me like, look, there is this person who has like a, basically like a kind of a talk show style thing and they say incredibly racist things. Mm. And at the end of the show, they raid someone and they expect all the people who kind of end up in that room to start, yeah, doing like just saying incredibly racist things. So they were like, well, you know, just as a heads up, block this person so they can't raid into your stream. And I'm like, wow, like I remember hearing that a year ago. Um, and I know that people are, I guess it's, it's ramped up quite a bit this year. Um, I wonder why, mm. uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I can't imagine that this is something new. I think this is, you know, now it's just coming to a head. So when mm. I, when I read an article about gamers really saying like, they're going to take, you know, do a boycott, um, for me, I thought, well, I mean, as a black person, definitely I'm down. So definitely like, yeah, like as a black woman, I'm going to support, you know, as somebody who could just as easily be impacted by this. But then also I felt that this needed to be something that all DJs really participate in, at least the ones that I know that that stream on Twitch because right. they all play black music. Right. Now, yeah. did, Twitch, did Twitch say that uh, or did Twitch reach out to any of the streamers or, you know, implement some sort of change to prevent that from happening or? 
I think before they did, they were like, oh, if you do the, like there are certain commands and things that you can do. And, and the streamers were saying that this isn't enough, that that's not enough. Right. Um, and they're not taking the steps. I mean, I, I imagine, you know, banning folks is something they're probably not banning them enough or, or responding to complaints against them quickly enough. Right. Um, but I know that the response um, from the streamers is like what, you know, what they're offering or what they're telling us to do is not enough. Yeah. Um, it's never enough, man. I just, I don't get it. I, I, what, who would take their time out to do some stupid crap like Basically, that? Basically, because people have nothing. I'm like, how do you have even the time? Like this, you have nothing better to do. Like <laughs> all this energy to be racist. And like, and, 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 oh, on, I mean, it, apart from it, it's just annoying. I mean, it's annoying. It's, it's traumatic if you're, ex, you know, if you've experienced, I haven't experienced like a, a, a hate raid, but like a Zoom bomb. Mm. I got a Zoom, I was doing an, a, a virtual event. Um, for for black women, um, expected mothers, and it that was terrible. Um, it was racist. It was pornographic. Um, but I'm like at the same. But I'm like it's more annoying than anything. So I'm like really, y'all just want to be annoying and racist. Like, just, <laughs> they need to get it together. Uh, but yeah, hopefully Twitch implements something because that really needs to change. Um, look, it is very rare that. Quest Love descends upon a DJ and handpicks them to go to the Oscars. <laughs> and you are very lucky because you got to play at the Oscars over the summer. What in the world? How did you feel? How did it happen? I need to know all the details. Oh my goodness. Okay, so Quest Love is somebody um, I've known for a while, um, but I, you know, I wasn't DJ. I mean, we, yeah, when, when my, when my friends and I, we first started DJing, like he was one of the first, um, folks we booked at his places and does not exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot what it was originally when we, that was called flow when we did it. And then it was greenhouse. So it was on Varick street. So it was around for a while and it closed down. Mm-hmm. Um, then we had him again at this other spot, table 50, which I loved on Broadway. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm like the whole historical facts, like, historical <laughs> sites person. But no, I'm just thinking through, because I'm like, damn, we don't even like par- go over there, to, like go to these areas to party. It's not like they just got replaced with other clubs. It's like, we don't even go, I, like I don't go over to Tribeca to go to a club anymore. But we used, that used to be a thing. Like right now, Broadway and Bleecker, you're not, like we used to go and yeah, we used to go to this bar, like this bar with a club space underneath. And that mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore. So it's like, we're not even going to these areas anymore. That really bothers me. Um, but yeah, so, um, you know, I was doing my DJ thing on the side. Um, I think he just took note one. And then, I, uh, then he asked me, he started asking me every once in a while to open for him. So when he was, would get booked for events and it would be something where he might have a conflict because he's also, you know, doing Fallon. Um, he, you know, or he just doesn't want to DJ for the whole night. He's like, you know, and he's only, you know, scheduled to DJ for a certain number of hours. He would have me open. So I would do that um, for him quite a bit, which I appreciated. And um, yeah, so then I remember reading about him being um, the musical director. And I was like, oh, that's gonna be so awesome. Mm -hmm. And then he, um, he reached out to me um, to, to say, hey, like, we, you know, are, what are you doing in you know whatever April date it was and I'm like I'm not doing anything I'm it's a pandemic um, <laughs> you know he's like well you know would you travel would you if, if you if you got a gig right now would you travel for a gig and I told him yeah I'm like I'm, I'm you know I'm fully vaccinated yeah, by that point I was fully vaccinated um, or I was going to be on my way to being fully, fully vaccinated I'm like you know I'm vaccinated so I, w- I would go depending on the gig yeah absolutely 
he's like, okay, like I'm trying to get you a gig through the, for the Oscars. Mm. Um, you know, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, and he always does this because I, he definitely, I know there have been many, many, many instances where he's tried to get me um, DJ gigs, either alongside him or in lieu of him, mm-hmm. and that they've fallen through. And it's not like he, every time he does it, he's like, yeah, I got something, you know, and it's, it's like, I know, like, cause sometimes I'll ask if it's something that like might require some logistics Right. And then, then it's like, yeah, sorry, it didn't, it fell through. And he's like, I always feel bad. I'm like, you try. Cause I really, I'm like, nobody, shit, nobody, I'm like most, none of us actually, I'm like, it's rare to have somebody like go to bat for you. Right. Um, so I was like, I appreciate it. Um, so yeah. So when he's like, I'm trying. So he kind of was like, like, you know, I'm like, no, you know, I, I don't know a high expectation type. I was like, it's all good. No worries. If it doesn't happen, I at least know that you tried and I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was like, I'll, you know, I'll let you know by, I think it was like a Wednesday. He's like, I'll let you know Wednesday. And then Wednesday came and went and I was like, okay, no big deal. Like again, saying he tried, you know, it's all good. And then like the following Monday, he hits me up and he's like, okay, so it's happening. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's happening. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then I kind of freaked out for a little bit, you know, and, and I'm like, you know, again, still kind of in disbelief. I'm like, you know what? I'll believe it when I like see some like, plane tickets or when, you know, when I see some like emails and stuff going yeah. like, okay, but into, and I'm not telling anybody. Remember that. I think I told like a couple people and they were like super hype and I was like, mm, whatever, like, well, let me see when the, like the plane ticket isn't, you know, the itinerary is in my email kind of deal. <laughs> and when that happened and I was like, holy shit, like this is for real happening. Um, it just, it was just, a, I don't know, man. I was, like, I was just like very shocked because it is, he's just been like super um, supportive um, these past couple of years, um, even, you know, before the Oscars last year when they had, um, when it was Stevie Wonder's 75th birthday and he was, and was organizing that like a 24 hour, you know, on- online stream of Stevie Wonder with all these, of these amazing DJs that I look up to. And I feel like, yeah, he's just given me a lot of opportunities that, I haven't had, you know, I know I said I took a break from like when I started DJing, I started DJing in like 2000, end of 2004. So 2000, mm-hmm. 2005, because it was like literally the very end of that year I started. Right. Um, you know, I, I stopped and I didn't really go hard like back at it until 2008, you know, and then this is like 2020, mm-hmm. like 12 years of, you know, I mean, I've, I've done some amazing events and I've really like, you know, but to like, you know, I've never had anyone look out for me in that way. And it took me, you know, it kind of got to 12, it was 12 years. You know, it's 12, it was 12 years after I, I was really like starting. Oh my um, goodness. So it was just really affirming. Um, Cause it's, you know, you do, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to stop cause I love it, but you know, it gets with everything. It gets frustrating. You get tired. You're like, Oh man, right. like you want it. You know, you see these things like I want to do these things or like I have, you know, you hold these folks in, in high regard and you're you know, like, dang, I'm like, I wonder if I'm of that caliber. Like, can I, you know, can I, can, you know, I'd love to DJ with them someday. Kind of, I've always, you know, definitely like Giles Peterson, I've always, I'm like, dang, I want to like, I want to have like a radio show on BBC and, and have, and know all the hot shit before everyone else. Like, I want to, you know, I want to do that. I want that. Um, you know, DJ Spin is just like an amazing, like house DJ, producer, hip hop. Um, you know, Natasha Diggs all over the world, DJing, amazing. Her sets are like transcendent. D-Nice like held it down for the, like the dang worlds over the past year, you know, with Club Quarantine. So, um, 
like, yeah. I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> if even be considered like even like near there to me was just like really, really affirming and really, um, you know, whether I needed to know that or like needed it or not, it felt good. I want to say I didn't need it because I, you know, I want to, I would, I'm going to keep DJing regardless. I was going to keep DJing regardless, but it, 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 I can't front like it didn't, it doesn't feel good. No, it's a huge deal. (laughs) Um, did you get to talk to any stars while you were DJing or like, no, I'm I'm like a weirdo. I don't want to bother people. Um, (laughs) no, it's true. And then, so like, Lil, like we had, there was a rehearsal and Lil Rel was one of the hosts. So there was the post show and the pre-show. Mm-hmm. And Lil Rawl was the, ho- was the host of the pre-show and I DJed both. And so he was there the, the I think the, the day before the actual Oscars, we were all out just kind of like, you know, they're, do- they're running through their lines and then they're like, oh, you know, sure, if you want to just play. Cause I wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, I don't have to, I didn't have to rehearse really. It was mm-hmm. more like, you know, it was, I could have done a mic sound check and, and gone home. Um, but it was like, no, you can play and, and, and do stuff. So I was like, okay, I'll just play whatever. And he was really enjoying the music. And he just came up to me. He was like, you're really killing it right now. And I'm just, I was just like, for real, just like, I'll just play around. Like, it's just, you know, we're all here all day. All these people are working. Like, I'll just play some like chill, feel good stuff. Right. Um, you know, it's background anyway. It's not like, you know, and everyone was really having a good time and feeling great. And that was, and that to me was dope. But then like the very next day I see him and I'm like, I freeze up and he's like, hi. And I'm like, hello, because <laughs> I don't, I'm a weirdo. So I didn't, um, I, I think probably stared too long at some celebrities, um, but I didn't get to talk to any. Um, I remember I saw Daniel Kaluuya. Nice. Um, I remember I was like, I feel like we had a moment. We probably didn't, talk, probably in my head, but I feel like we did. Like we looked at each other. Um, <laughs> I stared too hard at Angela Bassett because she just is beautiful oh and she was dancing to me like, or two songs I was playing and this, it was tall black guy um so that was dope I was like oh my god Angela that's mm-hmm. like dancing to music that I'm playing right now which I thought was amazing so I definitely had to like take note of who it was so I can tell them like yo Angela Bassett was dancing to your music <laughs> um so there you know that uh, but otherwise yeah I didn't really really get to talk to anyone which is fine I mean I know like for something like that um it's great and it is incredibly an honor but I also know like I, I don't, I wouldn't, you know, Hollywood's not my audience, you know, yeah. you know, there, there, there might be music lovers there, but like, they, yeah, if I'm, if I'm sitting around waiting for, uh, you know, for them to call me back to do something else, I'll be waiting for the rest of my life. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, back to the, you know, <laughs> you know, the next day that morning, you know, Monday morning, the day after the Oscars, I was on a plane back home so I could go back to work. So it's all good. It was great. I loved it. Yeah. Oh my God. I love those. I love those like special DJ moments when you're like, oh man, like all of this, all of the hard work that I have done over the years that brought me here, you know, like I never would have imagined. So that's mm-hmm. really, really, really darn cool. Um, so lastly, because I don't want to keep you forever, but <laughs> um, the work that you do uh, in conjunction with the DJing, I would say, right, because you are working closely on matters that have to do with nightlife uh, in New York City nightlife uh, with the work that you do in urban planning. Can you talk a little bit about that work? Uh, and then obviously, there were some really interesting tidbits that came out uh, in the new New York City office nightlife report back in June. For me, like funny enough, I, I like all of when I when I talk about like policy stuff and nightlight stuff and urban planning stuff. That's actually technically not my day job. Mm. That's really me trying 
to make it. <laughs> I think <laughs> a little bit. Um, I mean, I work for um, an organization that definitely works um, very closely with community organizations, and we work on um, a lot of things that are related to land use in New York. Mm. Um, so um, none of it is specific to nightlife, but um, I, for me, um, my own personal, you know, I guess career goals and thoughts, um, I do feel like you know, my nightlife is is the is very a very big part of the culture of New York. Um, music is a very big part of the culture of New York, right. and preserving that, promoting that. Um, allowing the the originators to thrive off of that to me is very much a, a an equity issue, a racial equity issue, a racial justice issue, um, mm -hmm. especially as we see New York change so much and so many Black and Latino people being displaced. Mm. Um, so it's for me, it's like a personal thing. It's like a personal crusade of mine. Um, thankfully, like my job just because of like the education that I've had in planning and the work that I've done. And, and it's given me the opportunity to kind of see and observe um, how people think and feel about nightlife um, in, in regards to their own neighborhoods in general, all of those things. But unfortunately it's not like what I do at my day job. I just, mm -hmm. I, I do a lot of it like extra on the side. Um, I participated in this global plan of a, you know, during the pandemic, there are some groups that, um, you know, so a lot of, so like there are a few of us, like these planner DJ types, um, <laughs> one being, um, there's one app one in um, Philadelphia. He is a planner as well. I'm really talented DJ and producer. Mm -hmm. um, and we connected before the pandemic um, about our similar interests. Um, and, and, you know, we talked a little bit about, of that because that was when the office of nightlife in New York had gotten created and I was talking to him a little bit about that and he reached out to me to say hey I'm working with these folks um, they are based in Europe and they're working on a global plan mm -hmm. um, a recovery plan because you know we all everyone got screwed out here the nightlife industry shut down overnight all over the world and you know they want to figure out how they can um, basically help people advocate for nightlife in their own um, countries. Right. And when he invited me to be, to be a part, I'm like, I'm down. Cause this is like, I've, for all that, that was like my first opportunity to be able to really be able to start fusing the two. Cause I always felt like, I'm like, these two things will come together. Once I figure it out, I don't, I can't figure it out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so this was like, I was like, okay, this is it starting to come together. And really me being able to kind of talk through um, why nightlife is so important to me as it relates to being somebody who's been in New York for so long. Right. Um, you know, I, you know, like I, throughout this time, you and I have been speaking, I, I, you know, I've been talking about all these spaces and none of these spaces exist anymore. Mm. And that shit bothers me because like I said, it's not, you know, it's one thing, it, you know, clubs close all the time. Um, but it's another thing when whole neighborhoods kind of close in terms of their being nightlife or no longer being nightlife. Mm. Um, you know, I do, I know things change. I am, I'm trying, you know, um, but I just feel like we just had more of a variety. Like we might, you know, I would be, I could be in the East Village, I could be in the West Village, I can be in Tribeca, I can be, you know, anywhere on like below 14th Street, I could easily name a spot for my friends and I to go to. Right. And I can't do that today. And then, you know, I, you know, yes, things have shifted to Brooklyn now. But then even then, I'm like, just volume-wise, like, we, there's just fewer options. It just feels like, like it's, everything's spread out in Brooklyn, you know? Like, you have just one end, you know? It is. It's far. So, like, yeah, exactly. You know, if everything, you know, if I can name all these spots below 14th, we could walk it. It might be a long walk, but, you know, we, get, we can walk there in 20 minutes. We can 
hop on the bus real quick. We can hop on the subway real quick. That def yeah, definitely doesn't exist too much um, in today and definitely in Brooklyn because depending on where you live, um, things can be far. Like now I just, for me now, I just realized I can get to nowadays by bus from where I live. Mm. So that's going to be my thing from now on. I'm going to take the bus there and go back. I mean, it's not a, it's not a short bus ride. It's a long bus ride, <laughs> but it's pretty direct. So I'm like, you know, I'll do that because Ubers are expensive. Oh my God. So, so expensive. Yeah. So it's like, I can't really have an excuse if I'm like, oh, I don't want, oh, I don't want to have, you know, oh man, the cab both ways is so much money. It's like, nope, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the party because it's going to cost me 275 to get there and it'll cost me whatever it costs me to get home. And, but at least I know half of, you know, I've still have saved half on my, on my cab fare. But it's still like, yeah, it's still a little bit far. It's a lot of, we have, we're on the fringes now. Um, a lot of people, a lot of these areas like, you know, have, have redeveloped and they're way more residential. And not only are they way more residential, they're residential with people who are not from New York. So for them, the idea of living next to a bar or a restaurant even um, is ridiculous to them or they don't like it because, mm. you know, you'll, you'll I've been there because I do the past jobs. Um, I've gone to community board meetings where um, they discuss liquor licenses for a restaurant. So although, you know, a restaurant just wants to be able to serve cocktails. So they're not going to be, you know, they might be open a little later. But, you know, the immediate reaction from the community board is like, oh, man, oh, they want a liquor license. They're going to be open late. There's going to be lines. It's going to be a nuisance. And I'm like, damn, this is a nuisance? Like, this used to be, like, the thing. Like, I used to, like, it was not a nuisance. If anything, when I, when I, there are parts of Brooklyn where I, where I lived where they, I didn't have any of that. There was no restaurant for me to walk up to and, and go kick it. And these people have all of them. And or way more options than I have, but then this, but it's a nuisance. Right. You know, and I'm like, damn, like, you, you just see the inequality in the city too. And then not how like, and the, the ridiculousness of it all that, you know, these are like rare amenities for some neighborhoods and in other neighborhoods, people look at it as like major inconveniences and nuisances, yeah. nuisances you know, yeah. it, it shit is wild. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> prior to the report coming out, that's kind of how it felt, right? Like just, it felt like nightlife had just kind of been put on the back burner by the city and, you know, all these clubs were left to fend for themselves. A lot of clubs didn't receive the, uh, the economic impact money that they were, they were promised mm -hmm. or any sort of aid to just kind of keep their doors open. Luckily, most clubs are doing okay. Like I know nowadays is safe. Good room is going to be opening back up. Thank God. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it just, it was scary at one point. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like we could have lost way more than we have. I know we lost a lot of smaller places, right. but a lot of these larger spaces, um, we, we, you know, they've managed to stay afloat and I hope that they can continue to rebuild. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, I mean, and I and think that's also really something that um, was seen even before the Office of Nightlife was created. So that was like 2018. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah, you ha I think you had a big backlash um, with communities about nightclubs and them being perceived as nuisances. And, and for me, these are cultural spaces. These are spaces, um, these are sanctuaries, depending on the group, you know, the population. Um, that's your, that's where your friends are. That's where you meet your people. That's where you find your tribes. And for me, that always bothered me because we could always, people, there was a time when people could live, you know, clubs and people live side by side, like, <laughs> you know, and today it doesn't exist. And the, the wild thing is it's, I don't, 
it's yeah it, to me it, it baffles me i know i mean a lot of, i know the motivation it's money it's one you know it's catering to you know certain populations um mm. in new york um but at the same time i'm like a lot of these a lot, a lot of y'all especially these older types who are opposed I'm like this is you thrived on this like when i think about how soho is today um right. and i know that um you know the community board that soho's in i guess i can say this now since i don't work um, where I used to work, um, you know, the community board that Soho's located in, they are, they are, no, they are known for um, being very difficult to get liquor licenses, even if you are just a restaurant, mm. um, because they perceive you as a nuisance. And meanwhile, you know, and I think about how they're, yeah, I, I'm like, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't, you know, apart from whatever, like these like old mainstay classic restaurants that are in Soho today, like Balthazar or whatever, like there's nothing, there's nothing that would bring me over there. I would, you know, not even the, not the stores, right. but I remember used to use it, you know, use, you know, I used to go to something over there. There'd be some little bar, some little restaurant, some little, I remember bar 89. It was like the big thing. I mean, that was on Mercer and it was just a restaurant, but they would be open late. They had these weird bathrooms that if they looked like they were, the doors were clear, but when you closed the door, the door like magically fogged up. People loved the bathroom. <laughs> I remember that they were like they were like go to the bathroom that was like the thing but that was also just the spot like it was very beautiful and a place like that if they if somebody went to that community board today and said hey i want to do a bar 89 here man they would get run out on a rail they'd be mm -hmm. like no hell no and i'm like but that was you probably were going to places like that when you were younger so why why would you deny that to like a younger generation now that's a fact that's you know fact. it's just weird to me like you 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 survived you lived i understand you want your sleep um but you know <laughs> no you live you also live in new york city like i live in new york city for me my rule if if it's a weekend night i'm not gonna and it's not every weekend night i'm not mm. complaining if my neighbors make and i'm never calling the cops i'll tell you that much mm. so, i was actually going to mention that so no. the report had mentioned uh the men nyc program which is kind of looking to improve relations between residents that are you know living in, in club areas and you know hoping that they don't call the clock cops because the music's too loud yeah because um, when they do that it's you know what what the or at least like what happens and this yeah this is what happens um you know what they're one of the main things that are that's particularly terrible and i, I think this is also a giuliani era thing it's called the multi-agency shit called multi-agency response to community hotspots which mm. is called march and that is when they get the nypd the fire department they get the department of buildings they get the department of environmental protection and they get the state liquor authority mm. And they all get together, you know, whatever the enforcement ones, like the, you know, the DOB cops, the, you know, DEP cops, like, you know, the ones that issue citations and stuff. Mm. They basically go to different spots during their time of operation and they basically raid the place and they shut down. Um, they might just shut down the music. Sometimes they shut down altogether and make everyone leave. And then they basically go, they pick through every little thing in that venue and issue violations. And a lot of venue owners, what they were getting, being told by the police was that, well, we got a noise complaint. 
Mm. I'm like, then how does a, where does a noise complaint fit in when noise in New York City is, is regulated by the Department of Environmental Protection? If that's the case, why don't you just call the, those guys and they come out with like a decibel meter? And if it's too loud, you, you give, either give the venue a warning or you give them a ticket. Why, do you need, why are the cops here? Why is the fire department here? Why is the mm. Department of Buildings here? So while it might be a noise complaint, a venue could walk out of, you know, they, they can get shut down and get, you know, violations for all types of shit, like means of egress. Um, if in this investigation, the State Liquor Authority determines that they didn't check somebody's ID or that there was a fake ID, you know, then they can get it, they can get a violation for that and get their liquor license taken. Mm. Um, you know, it's like all kinds of, you know, if, if, if there was like a, I think a helium tank from a balloon, you know, if there was a party and they used a helium tank and it was in the basement, that's Ill apparently illegal as well. And they can get a ticket for that. So these people like get thousands of dollars in fines for a noise complaint mm. and how, to, you know, that's not fair. And it also can like potentially close down a place forever. And yeah. And like, why does it need to be a police response when all it really needs to be is something more mediated? Um, so I'm super excited about, I know they launched that when the, during the pandemic, mm. um, but I do think it's a great, you know, we need to divert shit like that away from the police. Um, mm. I also think it's just an incredibly, um, I've been, I've, 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 none of the parties that I've been in have been raided to that degree. I mean, I've had cops come in, I've had the, the fire department come in, but not like all of everybody but it's happened to friends of mine and I've, and I was there when it happened mm. and that's just the worst. Right. Um, and it's, and it's, you know, nobody wants to come back like, damn, like, I don't want to go there again. Like the cops are just there. Like that shit was ridiculous. Like it's, you don't feel comfortable. You don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad that like, that's making a move. Um, and then you have just honestly, like with noise complaints, you have a lot of people that are known to call in 311 incessantly. Um, there's a woman, um, who used, they, they finally like arrested her for harassment. Um, she used to be, she lived across the street from Bergen. Remember, you know, that place Bergen, it's closed. Yeah. Um, but they, we, we did a party there. I remember, um, uh, my friends where we did Makosa there one year, this year we were kind of like bouncing around and they said, well, we have to warn you, we have a neighbor. Um, and she calls the police all the time on us and she calls Ooh. the fire department all the time. She just doesn't like us. Um, she did call the cops um, during the event, but by the time they all came, like we were already ending the, the party. So like, okay, there was, not, there was really nothing. Mm -hmm. um, but she was also harassing um, the kids nearby on a completely other street that would practice for the West Indian Day Carnival at, in a yard. So like a private yard, they're just playing mass and she would call the cops. She would go there and surveil them and take photos and they arrested her for harassment for, oh for what she was doing there. So like, you know, it's, it, so meanwhile, like this person, she could have been calling these complaints in and then like, then depending on who it was, you know, the police could have assembled a whole, you know, a whole team to go march on a, and that's what like it's known as, as being marched on, right. uh, on a venue just because of some, you know, I'm not going to speak to her mental condition, but she was like clearly just anti-noise, anti-black, honestly, it is anti-black, you are in a black neighborhood. Um, and just, and yeah, anti-cultural, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's and a fact. That's what it it's is. It's not, it's not a, like, how is that an appropriate response to noise? Yeah. I, so I think it's awesome. And I, I like, you know, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a, especially when it comes to nightlife, I think we have to be very careful about how much we let um, 
the government in, mm. um, especially given the types of groups that really grow and thrive in, within nightlife. Again, largely like Black, Latino, um, queer spaces. Like mm. I don't wanna, I wouldn't feel comfortable with a lot of government presence in those spaces. But at the same time, I do think that there are potentials to maybe not include them, but work with them in ways that will prevent mm. um, like unnecessary and very violent actions towards those groups. Right, right. And I was actually, that leads me to another point that was listed in the report. Um, they were talking about different harm reduction approaches that could be used to protect party goers. Um, I know that there's been a recent like uptick in drug related deaths at parties, not only in New York City, but just in clubs in general mm -hmm. happening recently. Um, so I thought that was very good. And also, you know, training staff members how to deal with uh, party goers or patrons of, of different nightclub establishments. So I thought that was actually really cool. Yes, I agree. I think all of those recommendations are great. And yeah, those are the kinds of things I think are important to point out because yeah, there, there's, it's, it's good for like us, you know, as, as DJs, as people who are in the nightlife scene to see because we mm -hmm. want to support it and, 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 and advocate and help advocate for it. Um, to our government folks, because that's what we pay them for. They're supposed to do what we want them to do. Um, so, you know, I think it's great, but I like, I, that's why, I, that's the how I feel like it can be best, um, you know, working with government, it can be best when they come, when they really truly understand what the conditions are and, and, and it's not a policing, it's not a punishment thing. We cannot, we need to move away from what's been done previously where clubs were so basically I want to say this is terrible to say but honestly this is how like you know clubs were I mean they, they still, I'm sure many still operate in that way but mm. just thinking about times when you knew when clubs would be known for like taking removing patrons in distress like out the back door and just dumping them somewhere mm. um, or dumping them in front of the hospital because they didn't want the attention they didn't want the cops to come they didn't want you know and everything to be very um, hidden and that makes it for makes for an unsafe environment um right. if you are if we're up front with the fact that we know that people are going to into, take substances because they're being sold if it's not you know alcohol is also very much a toxic substance that mm -hmm. you know when and taken in large quantities can be very harmful so i don't find it to be any different than you know what's considered illegal um mm -hmm. but if we yeah introduce these harm reduction measures and encourage um getting people help when they're in distress and not you know not having a, like a club manager fretting about oh my gosh somebody's really sick like oh my god i don't want the cops to come here and, and kill my night mm. and then being able to deal with it in a more practical in a humane way but you know like, i definitely remember those you know that being a thing where people and i'm sure again i don't want to say it's not anymore but i do like the idea that the, you know that the idea of harm reduction is something that's being embraced or being encouraged Mm -hmm. um, on a government level, because we need to be doing that across the board. That's, that's a fact. Um, but yes, what, what's next for DJ Tara? Anything exciting coming up in the next few months? Oh man, I don't, not so much. I mean, I, I really, you know, I feel like I'm kind of like still, um, for me, I'm like on a journey, at least like when I, you know, it's kind of like how I'm going to like, how can I merge these two interests I have or, or you know, two careers that I have, because I am, it's like managing two careers right now. Because mm -hmm. um, I do very much feel like they kind of, have, you know, they're starting to mix up a little bit. I'm trying to whip it up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, I'm doing that, like just trying to figure out like how I can be um, 
of use um, to like the nightlife community in a way that we protect, we promote, we create. Um, I would really, I really am ready to like get into some fights and get into some people's asses um, as far as it relates to ownership and equity in nightlife. Mm. Um, there are definitely, you know, Black, Latino, LGBTQ communities that are making clubs money. And while they may be seeing, a, you know, a share of that, I want to see true equity. I want to see venues um, basically getting together to support and assist people of color, LGBTQ folks to actually own spaces. Mm. You are giving them your nights to promote. Why aren't you giving, why aren't you investing in them to open their own spaces? Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming for people. Um, why are DJs still experiencing payment issues mm. and pay inequality issues? Um, it, that's a little bit more complicated because I know we all DJ for the homie and, you know, we may not get paid or we get paid a small amount or we, but, you know, there needs to be some kind of standard um, mm -hmm. or at least some sort of way to protect and, and some sort of recourse that people can have if they're not being paid. Mm -hmm. um, that was something that I was working on before the pandemic and that kind of fell off, but I'm definitely, you know, these are things that I'm really setting my sights on and I want to DJ more. Um, <laughs> I would like to do that. So I'm hoping to be doing that in the future. But um, in terms of just, you know, we are, you know, everyone, ha you know, we say that we had this reckoning, but now that things are starting to reopen, things are seeming to be very much the same. Mm. And I'm not here for that. That's a fact. I'm not, I'm not here for that. We spent a whole, you know, we, for, we even, I'm fucking 42. I've been, I've been spending decades of my life trying to teach people, um, you know, what, the issues are and how all of how structural racism has impacted all of our lives and honestly i mean i've experienced it but i had to go to school to realize like all the shit i didn't know what redlining was i didn't come out with my mom knowing what redlining was but i you know <laughs> but i knew it when you know she was looking to move us out of brooklyn and she and and the, and the, and the, the realtor was just showing her shitty houses in bad neighborhoods like i you know i saw it there mm. um you know, so it's like these, you know, I, I, you spend a lot of your life, like not realizing what this all is. And I'm at a point where I know what this all is and I'm calling it out. Mm. And especially we with the year that we had, we, so many of us have been calling it out. And so many people have said that they've listened and they understood and that they will do better. And it's not happening fast enough. And we've waited for too long. So. Mm. And on that note, what <laughs> drops Mike? <laughs> <laughs>we're coming out of the interview between me and DJ Tara. Oh my goodness, I absolutely loved this episode so much and I hope you were sitting with a nice pen and paper because she was giving out a lot of gems and just her incredible hefty music knowledge. I'm such a big fan and what an honor to bring that conversation to the platform for you guys as well. Thank you so much for tuning in and if this is your first time over here at the Club Management Podcast, we do have a website with some of our previous episodes clubmanagementpodcast.com if you are interested in listening to more of these incredible stories we do have a patreon as well if you're interested in donating to the show it will help us to do a lot 
and crank out more episodes for you guys. So patreon.com slash club management one. Until next time. <laughs>